0: To go through the newspapers this morning, we have Susan O'Keefe, who of course is a journalist and a former senator, Jared Howland, a public affairs consultant and a former senior government advisor, and Bernice Harrison, who is a columnist with the Irish Times. And I'll go straight to the papers before we bring in the panel, because as you would suspect, there is a theme uh, in the newspapers and the coverage this morning, and I'm not going to lie. If you're looking to be lifted by the Sunday papers today, it's not going to happen because what you're going to read will reaffirm the anger and the hatred and the disgust that you felt when you found that there were hundreds of bodies of babies and children that were buried in a septic tank. That most horrendous of resting places without acknowledgement, without any recognition that they had once existed Formally, And that were just left so that they could be forgotten about and cast away by people who couldn't have cared less whether they indeed lived or died. And and that is what is in the papers today. And the Sunday Independent goes with the headline, Digging Up Bodies, Burying the Truth. Gardaí Will Probe Tomb Baby Horror. Fitzgerald digs at more sites must follow uh, Philip Ryan and Maeve Sheehan with the headline there. Uh, Justice Minister Francis Fitzgerald has said it is inevitable that Gardaí will be involved in the investigation into the discovery of that grave in tomb. The Thornister also insisted that other child burial sites should be examined a signal that the Mother and Baby Homes inquiry may broaden its uh, excavations at other religious institutions. Uh, they go with the side panel there. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael both rule out any future coalition with Sinn Féin. The the front of the Sunday Times has the tomb story as well. Tomb baby's DNA to be recorded. A DNA database is expected to be established to record the remains uh, of young children whose bodies were found in underground chambers on the site of the former home. Discussions are underway involving the government, Galway County Council, Gardhi and representatives of the commission um, to, about what action should now be taken. They reference the rich list. I mentioned U2's figure in it there uh, at the top of the programme. Uh, Michael O'Leary has joined a record number of billionaires, according to the headline. France, Frank Fitzgibbon wrote the story. The combined wealth of Ireland's richest 300 individuals and families reached 77 billion last year. The total riches of the top 250, now greater than at any time in history, beating the previous year, which exceeded the peak of the Celtic Tiger era. And, and of course picture of Donald Trump and I have to say I do like what the headline writer has done here because obviously uh, it it is all about being taped or tapped or whatever and Donald Trump seemingly and Jared, maybe you could appreciate this as a man who occasionally wears a tie the the thin little bit behind the tie that sometimes waggles out and and you kind of get a little upset that people might think that you're dishevelled Trump Tapes his tie down so the little bit at the back he tapes to the big bit at the front.
1: My mammy used to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now that the band man, had 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 elastic band as well. I had an elastic and I had a little Dick clip on Dickie bow, <laughs> which you're, you're wearing today, which we're very <laughs> grateful <laughs> very for very to, much. R-
0: to raise the standards. Anyway, that picture's gave me a, one small laugh this morning on the front of the Sunday Times. Uh, Business Post goes with a, an interesting yarn. Um, revealed lawyers targeted by revenue in offshore tax crackdown. Good morning, solicitors. Um, (laughs) Revenue commissioners have launched a major trawl of hundreds of solicitors associated with offshore transactions as part of a clampdown on deals that could be used to hide assets from the taxman. According to documents obtained by the Sunday Business Post, the revenues offshore enforcement started grilling no less, grilling firms of solicitors as long as 2010, mandating them to provide details of offshore transactions including clients, names and addresses and the purpose of each transaction. So far, the tax authorities have identified 730 solicitors who were associated with offshore transactions covering the period 1991 to 2008. Briefing notes prepared for the revenue chairman Niall Cody and released to the Sunday Business Post show the process intensified last year. They're a-diggin' and God uh, just knows what they're going mm. to find um, they have a piece on their front page by Elaine Byrne a very emotive piece as well uh, when we rebury these babies can we paint their cots with flowers um, which again is a reference to what happened in June and the Mail on Sunday which I have to say and I have to put on the record again the reason why we're talking about this at all is that Alison O'Reilly who was a friend of mine and, and a journalist um, was the person who wrote about this first of all she met Catherine Corliss and gave Catherine Corliss the outlet in the Mail on Sunday which I suppose some people treated differently because it was a paper maybe not one of the original in the uh, rankings here in Ireland but they wrote the story and they put the story out there and look where it led to and it, it is a testament to what journalism can do and the change that can be brought about and the truth that can be uncovered, unpalatable and all as it is. Uh, It is Catherine Corliss, uh, that uh, kitchen table historian, as I heard her described rather unceremoniously on Friday. Um, uh, And it's it's an opinion piece by her, vindicated for truth over tomb. Uh, Now that we know the truth of what happened in the Bon Secours mother and baby home in Tewom, we must not allow the Order to avoid taking responsibility, even at this late stage, for what was done in their name and by their members. Uh, Before we go to the panel, Brendan O'Connor has an ability um, to sum up all of our feelings in a way that really I I can't express and very few people can adequately Brendan has written a piece that they put on page one as they always do but it's given equal prominence with the main story and I'll just read you the first two paragraphs Uh, this is about tume. they're digging for bodies in tume, bodies of little kids like yours and mine but ones who didn't always have the right kind of mammy or daddy for a while they tried to convince us that there was no kids buried there then they said they might have been from the famine that would have been all right. We blame other people for the famine. But they weren't from the famine. They aren't from ancient history at all. If those kids hadn't died so young, they would still be around now. But they died. And they were dumped there, in the human waste and muck in tomb with no acknowledgement that they had ever lived. Forgotten in the dirt. Nothing to say. We, he- we were here once. We walked the earth briefly. They sent our mother away. And they took us. But they didn't mind us and now here we lie. No sign of them. Nothing to give them any voice from under the muck. Voiceless as they were in their short lives. And I don't know Susan for me it just it's still catching me. You know because I think of my own kids and I think of the love that they have in the world and I, I, I have a daughter who's two and a half and I keep coming back to n- not the the 35 week child who was a fetus I go okay but then there's the two and a half year old, three year old child. And I just cannot bring myself to understand what happened.
2: I think you're you're not the only one that it's catching. I think it's catching everybody in a in a in a in an unfamiliar manner. It's it's the it's the clarity of it now for everybody. It's you can't avoid what we have heard. I think that um Catherine Sapone, the Minister for Children, when she was reading out the findings, you could hear the catch in her voice. She's a fairly strong woman but you could hear the wavering in her voice. She almost couldn't believe what she was having to read out. And yet, in a way, when you think about um, uh, Catherine Corliss and how so few people believed her and how a lot of people in Tume would have known parts of this story, remnants of the story, people who had talked among with each other, some of the guards, some of the local people. People did know, but they could find no place and and, and didn't know how to tell this story out loud in a manner that they would have been believed. So there's a very strange sort of two parts to this story, that part where it's local knowledge in a way, that people knew there was something there. And they, and, and in fa- fact, some people knew quite a lot more, I think. And then on the other hand, this very public 2017 moment where we're all have a catch uh, in our throats, in our hearts for, for what's happened here. And, and I think that Catherine Corliss would, 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 fairly be described as a a kitchen historian I don't think she'd mind that. I think what she did was she just kept going because she believed and she knew and she wasn't looking to share or take any of the the, the sort of, forgive the word, the glory for herself. She wasn't interested in how she might be. She just wanted to keep going and if that meant sitting at her kitchen table and being on the phone and talking to people and going through the records and spending hours reading things that other people had long forgotten. She was well prepared to do that and wanted to do that for all the right reasons and unfortunately there aren't enough people like her who for all the right reasons will stick at and try to find out about things that other people would prefer to bury and you know we do have we, we do have to acknowledge the work that she's done and as you have done the Mail on Sunday for listening to her in the first instance but, but she, unfortunately that's what it's boiled down to is that you, we were waiting for someone like her to sit with it and to sift it and to have the patience and have the absolute belief that what she'd heard in those fragments of stories in Tum were true and that she not turn her back on those children, on their siblings, on their parents, on the community, the wider community. She didn't do that and we need to sort of remember that, I think.
0: Gerard, the state's involvement in this, it's easy to say that the church were evil, that that there were nuns in charge here who Mm. saw these women coming through the door as lesser forms of life and mm. the children that came from them lesser again. But the state was largely responsible for moving these women around and for forcing them apart from their children. And and I can't help but wonder even now, because so many are still alive, that the state has a, a, not only has a question to ask, not the politicians around now, but the Irish state and, and how that's going to end.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are many layers to this. And I suppose one of the things... Uh, I remember writing about this in in, in 2014 when it first emerged and I was struck by the thunderbolt of anger directed to the nuns. And certainly the nuns bear a great responsibility because what happened happened within the walls of their house, on their land, in their care, and individual responsibility is extremely important. But it happened in a context and the state is another outside layer to that context. But when the state was founded in 1922, and I realize industrial schools and mother and baby homes are very different things, but the superstructure of Irish, the Irish penitential system, apart from prisons of industrial schools and so forth, was fully in place at the foundation of the state. At the foundation of the state, Ireland had uh, more children incarcerated than England, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland combined. Uh, And that was a hangover of a Victorian system that was upholstered, if you like, by a post-famine Catholic religious order system that somehow melded together and then separately but connected Magdalene laundries and mother and baby homes where add-ons, adjuncts, to that. So this wasn't created by the state, it was inherited by the state, but continued much longer here and to a much deeper and wider extent than almost anywhere else. Mm. And and there's one group we haven't mentioned, it's the most important group of all, the families from which these women came from. Um, Elaine Burns says something extremely important in her article today which is that the mothers of the youngest of these children are now women in their 70s. So they're alive. They're potentially listening to our conversation this morning. And all of these came from houses and and families. Um, And the families bear a culpability here.
2: Mm.
1: And that's too seldom reflected upon because I think it's too awkward for us now. And I think the nuns are too easy in a sense.
0: We, we found Bernice Harrison that there was truth in, in what mm. Catherine Corliss had mm-hmm. said and, and I know that uh, there are others um, Connor O'Fraherty in the Irish Examiner has written about, about Besborough and how there was mm-hmm. a spike in the number of deaths that were there and that needs to be investigated further as well What what is there in it for all of us to, do, to go to these places and to un- uncover this further horror I mean we know now that it did happen. Mm-hmm do we need to fully expose the extent of it?
3: Well, yeah, I, I think that that's a theme that is, is emerging in, in the papers and of, and of course we do uh, because, you know, Catherine Corliss's piece in the mail is the most striking to me while there's a huge amount of commentary everywhere um, because, you know, it, it, it was her story and, and she fought for it and her tone is not triumphalist even though, goodness knows, she has she has cause to be and but she says, you know, people says, insisted my research was wrong, they couldn't believe it and they didn't want it to be true, and she's just laying out that she was just coming to it from a point of factual, just trying to uncover the truth. Now we we see in the in the Indo, we, uh, Francis Fitzgerald is is quoted as saying that you know we're going to have to look further there the, 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 because the Bonsecours sisters presumably weren't so fantastically creative that they were the only people that thought this was a great idea to to to, to bury bodies, children's bodies, this way. Presumably, we don't know. Now, we talk about, um, you know, who's who's to fall? Is it? Is it the state? Is it the nuns? But what does all this say about us as Irish people? What on earth does it say about our psyche? Because, as as Catherine Corliss says, you know, this was known in tune. This was, and you know, around the country, <coughs> these things are known. But these I, I, things I, happened.
0: I grew up about... Two miles, mm. not even that, but a mile and a half from Bessborough in Cork, which is one of the other homes that is listed mm. as having these atrocities happened. I never went in the door. Mm. I never knew what I never knew what it was like mm. inside there. We knew sometimes if you'd see two young women walking down the street and they'd be, oh, they're, they're the girls from mm. Bessborough. They were they were instantly tired yeah. with brush brushes that they'd done something wrong. Yet our community and I, I, you know, our community—I would consider a good community—and people mm-hmm. who, you know, are caring and trusting, just let it go by. Just <laughs> knew it was happening because what could they do to get behind those well, walls?
3: Brendan O'Connor it brings the story to now, uh, and uh, uh, you know, he, he's saying. In 70 years time, are we going to have a big, you know, investigation into the story of grace? Are we going to have a big investigation into the story of how we let children with scoliosis? He mentions that particular children's scoliosis, you know, direct provision. So what does it say about us that we cannot face truths and deal with things and accept them. And put structures in place to make sure they don't happen again.
2: Because we still don't seem to have a respect for accountability. People Mm. are not generally held accountable. Mm. And that's always been part of the problem.
1: You know yourself if you're held
2: accountable for something. And mm. you know you're going to be held accountable for something then you have a different mindset that if nobody's going to notice whether you did it or mm. I did it, who cares? Well,
3: Corliss, she, her second paragraph in, in the mail piece is, she said, as news of the Mother and Baby Home Commission of Investigation findings spread on Friday, the order, uh, and that's the order of the Bonds Nuns, put out a very insensitive statement the statement was exactly the same as the one they gave to me in 2013 when I was trying to find out more about the information about the site and they said they have no records in other words, nothing to do with them, that they passed them on to Galway County Council which in turn stated it passed them on to the Western Health Board now mm-hmm. named the HSE
2: and if your heart doesn't sink, sink. into your boots
3: when none you read of us. that Not, none nothing's of
2: us. going to happen. So we can't change until we create a culture of accountability <laughs> mm. which we have failed to do. It's not us. It's somebody else. But it but there has
0: to be somebody. That point about grace is a valid one mm. because I, I don't think that the scandal around grace mm. got the coverage it deserved the week before last. It, it got swamped in something, else and, something mm. else and then something else and then something else. It took a long time for those two reports to come out and when they mm. did come out we all went, for God's sake, this happened not in the 60s this didn't happen in the 40s this happened in the
1: 80s and indeed into the 90s and
2: reading them is, sh- is and, shocking and if you read well them read the detail the, in it it's the hickwa
1: report uh, the whole area of elder abuse you know children uh, that don't die uh, grow up and some of them then inconveniently tell their stories but the whole issue of the elderly um, and the HICWA investigations into those homes. And, of course, those elderly people then die, um, and we have a very, very poor record in that regard. But to go back to Susan's point about accountability, I don't accept this is about a lack of accountability. Primarily, do I understand fully where you're coming from, Susan? But I think accountability is, is a symptom of the issue, not its cause, because I think the root cause was a ruthless accounting of what was not wanted in this state uh, since its foundation until i think about the 70s or 80s about half of all born and who survived to grow up emigrated so we're dealing with what happened to the half that w- who were left and of the half who were left uh, those who were born out of wedlock for one those who were born in extreme poverty or in dysfunctional s- circumstances for another, those who had any sort of psychological or I- issues for, for another. I think there was an accounting for those people and the accounting for those people that went on over decades quite systematically was to incarcerate them to a, a degree that was unknown uh, anywhere in, in any other country I- I- in Western Europe. There was an accounting and the reason I think we are so intensely angry now with the nuns who were the camp guards, if you like, is because we know that every Irish family accounted for its own.
3: Well, we talk about accountability, and accountability—that's that sometimes can seem incredibly vague, uh, uh, sort of this amorphous sort of idea. But Justine McCarthy, in the Sunday Times, she she—it's this is very real lack of accountability. She she says a member of the three-person panel who made the decision to leave Grace in an abusive foster home in the southeast is now a senior official in Tusla. contrary to HSE claims that all three had left the public service.
2: Yeah, and what's shocking when you read, when I said the reports about grace are shocking, what's shocking about them is the way in which they keep pa- they're keep they passing it mm. from one to the other when you read it. They're incredibly difficult to read because of the redactions and the length. Yeah, but that's not the Catholic yeah. Church. We can't blame the Catholic Church. No, that's not. the system, I'm, isn't no, it? Yeah. Uh, exa- that's what I'm talking yeah. about, is this fact that in our system generally, I'm not disputing what 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 Gerard said either, but uh, there is this thing about they were already starting to to work out how could they get out of this and how many lawyers would they need and a huge, big argument started in the letter, in the correspondence about where the lawyers might come in and how much they would need them and how much they could rely on the lawyers and what which bit of which legal advice would they need. Meanwhile, Grace is still languishing in the place that she was in and all the things that had sparked a thought in their head at the start, oh Lord, there's something wrong with Grace, suddenly evaporated as they tried to protect themselves. And it's that a lack of accountability that in that report is as shocking as what happened to Grace mm. herself.
0: Well, we can't say we didn't know about it now and we know that whatever happened in the 60s has a resonance with us today because those people are still alive. As you say, they are possibly mm. listening now. Sure. The, those mothers, those poor women are listening now. And, and again, you'd hope that they do get the help they need. And this is a story that was going to run. And we will have inquiries and we will have more news and we will have more days like this. And we wonder what we'll actually learn after all of it. We would like a little bit of what they had in Northern Ireland here in the South for our next election because the electorate, to their credit, got engaged in the process and more voted than at any time since they had the Good Friday Agreement.
1: Well, you have a short memory, Jonathan, because the electorate here were more engaged in the last two elections than they were for decades. We had the largest, third largest turnover in any parliamentary seats in any democracy since World War II in the twenty. Yeah, uh, Where election. did it get us, Jared? And uh, <laughs> we had the second largest turnover in the history of the state in the 2016 election. So we're, we're turning over at a rate of knots. But this was a big election in Northern Ireland. It was the end of the Protestant state for Protestant people, actually. Yeah. Um, it is is that significant. Uh, That might come back a little if the DUP gets itself this is not forever by the way uh, because the underlying numbers have not changed what changed in this election was the disposition of significant numbers for now uh, but a DUP that recomposed itself and and readdressed its potential constituency could reverse some of its losses. Uh, Where Sinn Féin are Uh, And, you know, they're certainly at at the top of their game in terms of party organisations and so on, is that they can hold the DUP effectively to account because the DUP on 28 seats, only one more than Sinn Féin, only 1168 votes ahead in total across Northern Ireland. The DUP don't have the 30 seats, which is effectively a veto on key issues. And let's
0: not forget, it wasn't a good day for the Ulster Unionists either, which is reflective of what happened in unionism. Let's listen to a man who is very happy with all of this, Gerry Adams, the Sinn Féin president.
2: The election was, a, in many, many ways, a watershed election. And we have just started a process of reflecting uh, what it all means. But clearly, the unionist majority in the Assembly has been ended.
0: You could hear the smile in Gerry Adams' voice that's coming through there. This is is almost a lifetime's work coming to fruition. And Susan, I know you've been working with the BBC up there during these elections as well. How significant is it that this is a Sinn Féin under Michelle O'Neill? It's not under Martin McGuinness. It's not under the old guard. This is Sinn Féin Nua, if we can put it that way.
2: Yes, it is Sinn Féin Nua. And of course, a lot of the electorate, though, were mobilised and you know, on message because Martin McGuinness had just not just retired but resigned. And so there would have been a bounce effect for Martin McGuinness. The fact that he had worked his socks off uh, over the years that he had been in, uh, you know, sharing power and there would have been a sympathy for him. So they would have mobilised on that basis too. So let's not forget that kind of bounce. Uh, however it's fair to say that Sinn Féin are very organised, uh, they knew what they wanted to get out of this election uh, they worked very hard and Michelle O'Neill ran a very positive campaign uh, because she could see that the DUP's campaign being led by Arlene Foster was a very negative one. and Crocodiles so, she t- and so yeah, on. Yeah and and it was just even in it, in its demeanour it was almost verging on surly and she was very, um, she she couldn't face the, the, the whole reality about the renewable heat incentive story that showed that under her watch um, it was going to cost the Northern Ireland office something up to 500 million pounds. So Sinn Féin could see that there was a place for them where they could be more positive while she was being negative. On top of that, uh, the numbers you know, of Sinn Féin voters in the last election, they had stood back a bit, they hadn't come out, they hadn't felt mobilised. In fact, they'd felt a bit, I think, crushed by the fact that Martin McGuinness appeared to be doing all the moving, all the gesturing, all the effort. The th- They were saying on the ground they weren't getting enough reward for the effort that he was making. They felt that they were now being trampled on by the unionists. And actually, this was the opportunity, although it presented itself completely unexpectedly. Mm. Sinn Féin took that opportunity, if you like, galvanised their troops, put Michelle O'Neill up front, a new face, if you like, even though she, as as Minister for Agriculture, had presided over a lot of workshops persuading people to take part in the renewable heat incentive.
0: None of that stuck
2: to her during the election at Well, that is a all. skill in
0: its own, right? Uh, exactly. And, but so, non, none of this will amount to a hill of beans, though, if the DUP refused to go back into government with Sinn Féin and direct rule returns. Well, you mean if if Sinn Féin
2: won't do business with the DUP under Arlene Foster um, and if that is the case, then the first three weeks they have to try to negotiate is obviously (coughs) a very short period of time. Uh, Can the Secretary of State extend that period of time? I think he can. But even so... Sinn Féin has made it their wretched red line from the start of this. We will not do business with Arlene Mm. Foster. The DUP is saying we will not allow Sinn Féin to tell us who
0: who they will do business with. But at the same time, they did kind of move her towards the front of the bus uh, that's (laughs) travelling down the motorway last night. Last night, they did. did. And we'll wait and see
2: how how fast that bus is travelling and whether she can get to stand up again. You see, see, all this we will not and we will and all that,
3: when, when I hear all this rhetoric, I can't help but think of two bald men fighting over a comb because it's Brexit
1: is wi- the big issue. <laughs> these, these are two women. But, I'm the but, only bald but, man. But, come but on, but it's, Bernice. It's, it's, it's the, two are, women. It's, true, it's, it's two women this time. The,
3: but it's the Brexit <laughs> issue. That's the big issue. So they can fight all they like and, yeah. and about, you know, forming this executive and so on. Brexit is coming down the track. The biggest thing to impact. Yes, and at the very moment the
2: when they, uh, and at the very they, moment when they needed completely. to be cooperating, they have polarized completely. to a greater extent. And because Arlene Foster, of course, had led. The Leave campaign hmm. on her side found herself then at the end of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the right place. But but the majority in hmm. Northern Ireland had said, we want to stay. Yeah, in, and I in, think that, in, it, it, that, that, that it, was an impact. Uh, that Europe. had an
0: impact in all of this. It had it an absolute
2: had impact, uh, for sure. It is the, the sort of crack across the whole piece. Hmm. Um, and now, if you look, and somebody has done the figures, uh, there are more people in the Assembly now, in the new 90-seat Assembly, who voted for Remain. Mm. So the Assembly reflects, actually, what the people Mm. voted for last June. One thing
0: I thought about when I was looking at it was, you know, we we observe our own proportional representation system here. and It it works to a certain degree. It was bang on in the North (laughs) in terms of, you know, you'd one seat in the difference between Sinn Féin and the DUP, which reflected the narrow difference between the two. The system definitely uh, is reflective. But Jared, we always in the South uh, wonder, what does this mean for us? And uh, Owen Harris in his piece today, Sinn Féin's North Success, mm. not good for Southern politics, meaning he obviously thinks that, uh, that this is going to give Sinn Féin a, a, a fillip down here now as well. And lo and behold, on the front page of the Sunday Independent as well, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael running as fast as they can away from Gerry Adams and Mary Lou MacDonald.
1: Yeah, and Owen Harris's uh, piece in the Sunday Independent needs also to be read in tandem with... Um, um, John Lee's piece in the Mail on Sunday uh, about Sinn Féin, what does it mean, how Sinn Féin could monopolise an issue like water charges if it's not taken off the table to uh, you know, further their advance in, in the South and maintain momentum from here on in. Very contentious take, I think, on that. But it's interesting to hear one, Owen Harris's, if you like, polemical view um, that if the parties here do not take water charges off the table. They are facilitating an onward march with Sinn Féin and John Lee's uh, take which is basically delving inside the, the Fine Gael and Fianna Falls view about water charges and people in Fianna Fáil saying to John Lee look, if we don't take this off the table right or wrong, we're facilitating these people uh, in terms of their political agenda. So Sinn Féin um, They're sitting pretty on the back of this. They're 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 on the front foot. Uh, How far they'll go remains to be seen. Uh, Historically, in the south, two things have happened. First of all, they've never delivered on polling day on their opinion poll potential. However, over years, over every election, with the exception of two thousand and two, since nineteen ninety seven. They have grown incrementally. Well,
0: is is it not better to grow incrementally than grow in one? Oh big yes, and this is this is becoming this is
1: becoming a slowly but surely ever bigger, more important thing. And, and critically, patient. Mary Lou Macdonald, who is about to become leader, whether that's a month or two or a year or two away, I don't know, but she critically has said it's time for Sinn Fein to have an internal conversation about coalition. This is a party preparing for power.
2: Yes. And, and they will take advantage, they will feel a, a huge positive bounce from what they achieved because Michelle O'Neill is new and there could have been that small moment of hesitation about her. But there was no hesitation. And as I said, the Martin McGuinness sort of bounce that they got from his resignation and from his poor health and so on and as people saying they wanted to thank him for his contribution to what had happened that will allow them to be even more disciplined and more organised than they already are and in that case it will help them in the south because Michelle O'Neill and and Mary Lou you saw them several times during the campaign Mm. side by side you know, last night, Pierce Doherty. You know, in the picture with Gerry Adams, it's always the South and the North together. Yes. We're doing this together. Mm. We a, are. Well, it's, it's a, a the picture today, times
3: is very good. You, it's, it's Mary Lou very much to the front, yes. um, standing in in front of uh, Michelle O'Neill uh, is right beside Gerry Adams, and then the, the Orla Flynn, the the newly elected. I mean, but it's very much Mary Lou. Uh, this is Mary Lou. This now is
1: sister on. act for uh,
0: Tra- well, treading that very dangerous it's sexist no, it's line, too, it's, line. It's, it's a discipline it's it's to action. You, <laughs> you, you use words, words no like mistake. "mano." it's a
2: discipline <laughs> <that you see laughs>
0: it's not going to end well um, <laughs> let's, th- I actually want to come to that point because um, when you look at Northern Ireland now we have there's going to be the First Minister uh, I know we had a female First Minister definitely going to be a female First Minister now in Wales the leader of Bly Cymru mm. is a woman in, in Scotland we have Nicola Sturgeon in Britain mm. we have Theresa May in Ireland, uh, Fianna Fail are looking at uh, a number of men, not a woman. Uh, same Fianna Fail. If they're producing a woman to lead the party, I don't know who she's going to be just yet. Are we a little bit behind the curve here in the Republican putting our female politicians further up the tree? Why? Why is that? Do you well, think?
2: the mail the Mail on Sunday has a, a piece saying that they you know they did an interview with Frances Fitzgerald, and she's certainly not ruling herself out uh, of it's of, of win, entering. Though. But well, that that. May be the case, Jonathan. You may know something I don't <laughs> yes. know, but but certainly she may well be she may well be in in the field. And I mean, Joan mm. Burton obviously yeah. was a, a leader for a while. We we may be a small bit behind, but we do have a lot of women now in in, in senior positions. You know, in in the Guardian and in the courts and so on. So I don't think that we are that far behind. However, it was interesting to watch the leaders' debate in Northern Ireland on both UTV and the BBC, and to see three women on the mm-hmm. platform and two men. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I've ever witnessed mm-hmm. that. And Naomi. Long for the Alliance Party certainly held and and did very Hears well very in strong. this election and mm. sounded uh, people said all the time about how how reasonable and how strong mm. uh, she sounded uh, trying to give a new voice to the Alliance uh, in Northern Ireland. So I, I think it is and interesting the, the, and times. And, and they held their vote in
0: what was a they difficult did they election.
2: held and gained yeah. really yeah. for
1: them. Uh, I mean, it was a good day for the STLP in all the circumstances. Also, a worrying day in some respects. But you know basically I think you'd have to say the glass is half full rather than half empty for them the alliance thing is is very positive and I suppose what the SDLP showing shows uh, and I wouldn't run away with it is that Sinn Féin do not have it all to themselves it is for the DUP to reconfigure themselves if they have the capacity I suspect they don't by the way Mm. Yeah, uh, but we shouldn't read history backwards
0: uh, you, you mentioned cash for ash which dominated the debate mm. in the north when we have the next election here in the south and god knows when it'll be it mm. could be next month it could be in 12 months time I, I would lean towards the former um, no going back on water charges says Dempsey this is Noel Dempsey of course who was the minister who negotiated the controversial derogation from water charges uh, that, that Barry Cowan is kind of now relying on to say mm. we can get rid of them he came out in an interview with Stephen O'Brien in the Sunday Times today, saying he believes Water charges are required to pay for a a sustainable supply and clean waterways. And and that derogation, that opt-out has now lapsed.
1: Noel Dempsey has very forthrightly on a number of occasions challenged Fianna Fáil's position on water charges head on over the last year or two that I can remember. Mm. So his position is really clear. It's really consistent. I have to say I totally agree with him. And I think Fianna Fáil should listen a lot more to him.
0: Yeah, well, this is going to be the like. There's no votes in it. I would argue, Bernice for Fianna Mm -hmm. Fáil to say water charges are in any way a good thing. So they're they're
3: going to run the opposite direction. Completely. Uh, There's there's a headline in the Sunday Indo over Kevin Doyle's piece. And it just encapsulates so much of, of what I think has been the last few weeks. She said, he says our country is stuck in a cycle of perpetual crisis with no solutions, and that the wheel of misfortune landed back on Simon Coveney this week as water became the latest crisis to bring the government to the brink.
0: Mm. Ah, did it? Did it go. Or did, well, Simon Harri- or did Simon Coveney say this is a great way to appeal to the Fenigale base? I know it'll go down like a lead balloon with the electorate, but bear in mind I'm trying to be the leader of the party here, and this is what this is what I think the grassroots like. Well, certainly, I mean, Fine Gael values. Simon,
2: Simon Coveney will obviously use the opportunity to be in the headlines given that he's about <laughs> to be campaigning for, for, for leader but when you look in talking about a crisis you know we've seen the nurses mm-hmm. we've seen the buses they're gone back to the to the to, to the talks to see mm-hmm. if they can sort things out but, and the teachers mm-hmm. um, so yes there are a lot of crises at the moment but Mary Regan writing the Sunday Business mm-hmm. Post says that she believes looking at the water crisis that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are further apart now than ever uh, and so the water the water has the capacity because it's been so emotive and so emotional over the last five years. Uh, we still are the only country without water charges in the EU and we still need 13 billion euro or thereabouts. To upgrade our infrastructure and here we are squabbling as you might say mm. two bald men mm. w- 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 squabbling over a comb. We still can't quite get this right and Fine Gael mm. and Fianna Fáil are using water now again for their own political ends and that's and extraordinary. And with no extraordinary. end in sight no, With no, no, resolution, sight. no ideas. And the committee appears to be split mm. 10-10 as to how they're going to vote uh, on, on, on what they have been offered. Like it is a mess, and God knows we need our water more than we need this mess. Well,
0: before we offend any more bald men over comb <laughs> comments, and we bet- better <laughs> we better take a break uh, to, to save Jared's blood They're merciless, I, I, and also the, I mean, we were looking for a cheerful news in the papers today because they are quite grim. It comes remarkably in the form of Angela's Ashes, the musical, <laughs> which we will talk about next. Uh, right, let's go back to of the papers. And Bernice Harrison, this this looks like the most wonderful uh, theatrical event of yeah. a generation. Well, this
3: is um, Ethna Shortall's story on, on in the Sunday Times. And she's saying that uh, there's going to be a musical of Frank McCourt's Uh, Angela's Ashes, making the point, obviously, that Angela's Ashes pretty much started off the misery-lit genre. Um, Apparently, uh, Pat Moylan, who is former Arts Council chairwoman and with a very, very long history uh, in theatre, she's uh, commissioning a a musical version of it. And, you know, while it does sound maybe, maybe a non-runner, if you just think of it, Oliver what, is that a cheery story no. Les Miserables the key is in the, the name you know there's a long history of miserable stories we made into musicals so I actually think this could
0: work but would people go and see Cause I mean, Ange- not. Angela's Ashes whatever about Oliver yeah. being grim Angela's Ashes is particularly grim but we don't know what the songs are going to be and they, I mean, do, and they
2: do make the point that, that Frank McCourt's own capacity to, you know, talk about childhood and the funny things that kids yes, did. that that was more that that in his was, book. Yeah, mm. and that that was lost in the film and yeah. that therefore this is an opportunity to dwell on some of that, the sort of for want of a better word some of the balance part
0: of that well, you can't do, I think it's certainly you can't do grime as well on stage as you do on film so like the mud and the muck oh, won't be minute, there
3: please sir can I have some more think of Oliver seriously I mean I think it's a sitter I think it's going to be great well, we'll see and good stories good, story, good stories good stories will always prevail if it's a good story and mm-hmm. it
2: has authenticity which it certainly had then you know what, what's to what's to prevent it and certainly I mean they're in the talk stage aren't they yes yeah, yeah uh, so yeah, you know whether the money yeah. will be put yeah, up that'll exactly. be put up or shut up down
0: well the yeah and we should carry it alone front row Jared,
1: would you do that well uh, Pat Moylan has a record of success she has picked winners she ran the Andrews Lane theatre Mm -hmm. for years that's how and then subsequently she was chair of the Arts Council I wish her well
0: We'll Absolutely. see if it comes to fruition. We'd look,
1: we'd all go for
0: a look <laughs> anyway. So we'd they'd, they'd let one outing per person. Um, the Irish coffee market is full of beans, according to page three of the Sunday Times, Gerard Howland. And this is true sign that the, either the economy has recovered or we all need a lot more caffeine to get through our day. Because uh, after generations of tea drinking, Irish customers are waking up and smelling the coffee with supermarket sales rising by 24% this year and it's all down to these little Nespresso pod things that, mm. that I don't understand because I don't drink coffee but people seem to love.
1: The people who thought up the campaign, keep the recovery going, we're on this stuff morning noon and night. No, no posh coffee and more coffee, there's a huge, there's a huge market for us um, some of us are still on the tea, I have to say. Well,
3: what's, what's striking in, in that piece, actually, um, is the, the ripoff Republic element. Um, mm. There's a little sidebar piece, and it says, in Starbucks, a medium latte, blah, 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 costs 12, uh, 30 euro. In London, it uh, would only cost 9 euro. So, in other words, in Starbucks, is 35% more expensive in Dublin than it is in London. And, and Costa? Costa? Sorry, a Costa, a, cup of
2: tea. A, a, 20, a No, no,
3: this is a sandwich as well. But oh. in, in the, the markup, the difference between prices in Costa, which is a chain, and Dublin, which is where is also a chain, is 24%. So we're paying 24%. Ah, but see, you have to
0: grind the beans a little bit harder they here do. in Ireland. That's the difference. Ah, There's an yes. extra bit of labour involved. Well, we're just idiots I, I yet again. I have to say,
2: I worry about the amount of coffee. That people actually consume. I I sometimes wonder how on earth, because I remember when coffee was, you know, it was very expensive and Mm. people drank it out of tiny little cups. Remember little coffee cups? Mm. And you can still see them now in antique Mm. shops. Mm. It would be (laughs) two (laughs) mouthfuls because in a way I wonder whether they weren't right. That you needed just a shot as the Italians will. A little espresso and off you go. But this constant, like the the Starbucks and those, the the containers are getting bigger and the amount of coffee people are drinking. I don't believe that it's terrifically healthy. I I live in a
1: household where a lot of coffee is drunk by somebody other than Myself, and I am never less than horrified by the amount of coffee muck left at the bottom of the coffee pot, and the bo- and you think that stuff is going through people's systems. Well, I'm, by I'm the more gala. horrified
3: than Nespresso, the 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 pods and all these capsules. They're not going to break down for how long? No, oh, yeah.
0: Well, there's the whole environment. I just want to finish yeah. up on the the AAA um, rebrand because of the anti-austerity lines they went in as the anti austerity people before profit, which was A A A P B P, which was very mm. hard for people to say during the last general election. But it looks like now they're they're going to rebrand, Gerard, you you were looking at this. They're rebranding as what? Solidarity. Solidarity.
1: Indeed, and if you go back to Paul Murphy's brilliant by-election win in Tala in in, uh, the autumn of 2014, the state of solidarity between the two groups in the previous European elections was they were tearing the innards out of one another. Hence, he couldn't keep that European Parliament seat. They have decades of sectarian strife. They came together for the first time uh, and clearly they're melding. And this is a sign of that.
0: But I see I couldn't help but think of this when I read the paper this morning.
1: Listen.
2: The only people we ate
1: more than the Romans are the Judean oh. People's Front. Yes. Yes. And the Judean impossible. Popular People's Front oh, oh, yes. yes. Splits. 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 And the People's Front of Judea. Splitters.
0: Yes. The People's Front of Judea splitters. We're the People's Front of Judea.
1: Oh. I thought we were the Popular Front. People's Front? Whatever happened to the pop in the front? He's over there. It's true that I, I, names <laughs> go yeah, on. I really think they're making a mistake dropping the word anti mm. because that is the pivot they turn on mm.
0: Absolutely And so, I mean
2: it? you know it is isn't a name the, 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 the six letters were too many letters <laughs> <laughs> uh, the
0: Anti
1: Anti, anti. you may well be yeah. right mm.
2: Solidarity it, 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 it means a whole lot of different what things to a, a whole po- lot of different it's a, it's a people mm. It's a positive
1: emotion It's a positive emotion and, and they've
2: built their entire structure on, on being anti everything
0: I have to say um, uh, the Solidarity Brothers wasn't that that wasn't that the line at the end. Solidarity, Reg, solidarity. Absolutely. We'll have to spread it out to Absolutely. solidarity brothers and sisters on the back. But of maybe it.
2: they're modeling themselves on
0: Poland. Poland, I don't yes. Think. Poland is probably where it's mm. coming from. I know we're being a little tongue in cheek. We will leave it there. Susan O'Keefe, Gerard Howland, Bernice Harris, thank you all very much for joining us on the panel.